You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. Accounts of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, the things that Jesus said and did, and taking those documents as a starting point, as our reference point. Uh, And historically, the church has often put the letters of Paul in that central place, taking Paul's letters as being our sort of starting point and everything else kind of fitting in around that. And the consequence of that seems to me is that the Gospels often get ignored, at least except for the bits that talk about Jesus' death and resurrection. All the rest of it we kind of quite, don't quite know what to do with. Um, and so it tends to be bypassed or we, we use the stories in Sunday school because they're nice stories, but we're not quite sure where it all fits together. For me, I'm interested in what happens when we switch that dynamic round. When we say, why don't we take the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, take those as our reference point, see what they have to say to us, and then interpret the rest of the Bible in the light of those stories. And that interests me. It may not interest you. You may not be sure what I'm talking about. But to me, I think there's, this, there's something important there about shifting our focus. Um, and the other thing to say is that whatever part of the Bible we're reading, uh, as a community, we want to take it seriously, but not literally. We want to take the Bible seriously, but not literally. Because there are all sorts of problems arise if you try and take the Bible literally and you run into all sorts of blind alleys, I think. We want to take the Bible seriously and taking the Bible seriously means allowing it to speak on its own terms and to speak into our context. So, with all of that in mind, um, I'm going to invite Jane to come and read uh, our Bible passage. Jane is reading in borrowed glasses, so hopefully (laughs) we'll all be... It will all be good. And um, there's your microphone. And just to say as well that Jane and Paul are getting married very soon. So (laughs) thanks for that. Embarrassing. Exciting. Um, So Jane is going to read to us from Mark chapter five. Okay. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasses. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man had lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legions of demons sitting there, dressed 
and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Great. Thank you, Jane. Good. Well, I think that's a great story. I love that story. Uh, it's also a very strange story. There are things in there that you think, what on earth is that all about? Well, that stuff with the pigs and all of that. What, what's, that what's going on there? Um, it's a story which makes a huge amount more sense when you understand the background, when you understand the sort of social, political context of the time. Uh, and and there's, a, there's a whole series of talks to be had on this, chapter, on this story, I think. Um, but I just want to think about what happens right at the end. So when the man has been set free and the pigs have gone for their swim, so what do we get? It says, oh, I've not got the verse that I want. Come back. There it is. The man, it says, come back. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And then it says, Jesus did not let him go, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. And what interests me about that story is that this man begs to become a follower of Jesus. And Jesus says no. Jesus refuses to allow him to follow. Said, he says, he tells him to go back home and tell everybody what God has done. Go home to your family, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And that intrigues me. I think that's interesting that this guy wanted to become a follower. He wanted to become a Christian, if you like. And Jesus says no. So let's just think a little bit about what's going on uh, here. So first of all, would you say that this man was saved? I think, yeah, I mean, what other word might you want to use? I mean, if, if this guy wasn't saved, then who is saved? I mean, his whole life has been turned around. He was in bondage. He was, it's, it's a tragic situation, isn't it? And then he's set free. I mean, that's a, it's a fantastic story. So yeah, surely the guy is saved. But does he become a follower of Jesus? No, he doesn't. He wants to, and Jesus says no. And we might think, well, yeah, but maybe he went away and he sort of in his heart he became a follower of Jesus. But that's not what the story says, is it? And that relies on a whole lot of other stuff that we kind of project onto that. How would he know anything else about it? Maybe he didn't even know Jesus' name. There's nothing in the story to say that he does. All he knows is he's had some sort of encounter and God has done something in his life and turned his life around. And Jesus says, go back to your family and tell them, not, not about me, but about what God has done in your life. I think that's really interesting. So is this an isolated incident? When we read the Gospels, is, is this an isolated incident? Well, the, there are a number of occasions where, uh, where people are asked to follow Jesus. So Jesus does 
asks people to follow him, he calls people to follow him. And sometimes people say no, sometimes people make excuses. Sometimes they follow him and then they fall away and they stop following and there's a whole lot of different things that go on. I don't think there's any other point where Jesus um, explicitly refuses somebody who wants to follow him. But what about all those other people that Jesus encountered? So the woman cured of bleeding, the story that comes later in the same chapter. Uh, Jairus and his daughter, uh, the man lowered through a roof by his friends, the Roman centurion and his servant, uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. All these people that Jesus encountered, that he healed, that he spoke to, that he set free in one way or another. Are we to imagine that all of these people left everything to follow Jesus, to become disciples of Jesus? Well, no, that doesn't make sense and I think the implication of the Gospels is that actually most people didn't do that. The implication of the Gospels is that only certain people follow Jesus. So what's going on here? Why was it that Jesus called some people to follow him but not others? What's that about? Well I think we can see something of the answer in uh, this passage in Mark chapter 3 verses 13 to 15. So Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those that he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And then a little bit later in chapter 6, we read that this same group of twelve were sent out by Jesus two by two, and he gave them authority to drive out demons. They went out, they preached that people should repent, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And so when Jesus called people to follow him, and the 12 kind of exemplify that, they weren't, discipleship wasn't limited to the, the 12, the apostles as we sometimes call them, but they kind of exemplify what discipleship was for, what it was about. Jesus called people to him He wasn't just choosing some people to be saved. He was forming a team. He was calling people to him to engage with him in this mission of sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus called some people. And that's why Jesus said, in this case of this man, he said, no, you don't follow me, go back home. And actually the same dynamic is at work, isn't it? Go back home and tell the good news. That's the point. And so Jesus wasn't just As I say, it wasn't just calling some people to be saved. He was forming this team. Discipleship was a means to an end, not an end in itself. And so, as I say, the man is sent back to his own community with this good news, with this message that they too have a place in the kingdom of God, that there's hope for them as well in their lives, in their situations. And so some people were called to follow Jesus uh, to become disciples or apprentices, if you like, uh, but not everyone. And it seems to me that reading the Gospels, the most important thing was not whether a person followed Jesus, but whether they understood the good news of the kingdom of God and whether they lived that out in their communities, in their towns and villages. That's the dynamic. That's what we see going on in the Gospels. We see this core group of people formed around Jesus that are part of this this team that are engaged in spreading the good news of the kingdom. And then that good news spreads out and touches people's lives and then those, those lives then perhaps touch other lives. But it's all about spreading the good news of the kingdom of God in word and in deed. 
And it may be perhaps that we've been taught to believe that discipleship, that following Jesus, that being a Christian is the only means to be saved. But it seems to me that what we see in the Gospels is much more complex than that. We get a different picture. Let me try and explain how that might work. So uh, back in 2004, um, Jean Robinson was, uh, became the first openly gay, non-celibate man to be appointed a bishop within the Anglican Communion. So there was a lot of fuss around that, as you might imagine. You might even remember seeing some of the stories about this guy. He became uh, a member of uh, a bishop in the Episcopal Church in the United States. So that was in 2004, and uh, he was interviewed by uh, a magazine called Third Way back in 2008. Um, and he was asked this question, what would you say to someone who asked you, what must I do to be saved? So he was asked this question. And this was his answer, which I find to be quite profound and important. He said, I would say, probably, believe that God loves you beyond your wildest imagining and begin to live your life as if that were true. I think it transforms your life dramatically if you believe that. I would go on to say that I believe Jesus is the perfect revelation of God and of God's will for us. Take a look at what he said, what he did and how he lived his life and that's the way you will discover most clearly what God's attitude is towards you and what God's will is for you. I think those words capture really well how it is that these two things, salvation and discipleship, how do these two things fit together? What's the dynamic here? Because it seems to me that we don't follow Jesus in order to be saved, but because we are saved. We follow Jesus in order to figure out what it means to be saved, what life might look like if we believe that we are loved beyond our wildest imagining, what kind of life that might look like, what God might look like in the context of that, how that, those two things might interact. We follow Jesus not to be saved, but because we are saved, and in order to figure out what that looks like. That seems to me to make sense of how these things fit together. And it gets things the right way around, I think. I've spent pretty much all of my life, I think, trying to figure out what it means uh, to follow Jesus. Um, I've not done a great job of it, and, uh, but I have no regrets. I'm not about to change tack or abandon that commitment. Uh, as things stand, I want to keep on exploring. I, I will be continue to be inspired by Jesus to seek to understand more of what he said and did and what all that means, to be open to the Spirit of God. So I'm not about to abandon all of that. But that commitment to Jesus means that I've never really explored other faith traditions other than intellectually. I don't know what it's like to be a practicing Muslim or a Jew or Buddhist or to live as a humanist either. And I have no intention of finding out. Uh, not because I believe I'm right, not because I feel superior, but because I don't need to. Because what I've discovered and what I've tried to live out works for me. It makes sense to me. Being a Christian helps me to make good enough sense of the world. And it offers me a way of living in community with others which in some small way makes a difference to the world. I don't need to look elsewhere. But as I say, not because I know I'm right, but because what I've discovered works for me 
and I'm going to continue to follow that way. And so based on my experience, my understanding, I would encourage anyone to follow Jesus. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I would say, if you're thinking about it, go for it, because you will discover riches. You will discover life. I can't comment on whether you would find those same riches elsewhere because all I know is what I know. And I'm not about to make judgments about other people based on some preconceived notion of what I should say and what I should think. All I can speak is ultimately from my own experience, as is the case for all of us. But my experience is that being a Christian brings life and joy and hope and a lot of complications sometimes as well, if we're honest. So... That all may sound heretical. By most measures, it probably is. Um, so if I was living four or 500 years ago, I would be waving goodbye to my wife and heading off to the, uh, the stake or something. So I'm grateful that that's not the case. Um, but it seems to me, actually, that this may all seem also quite in kind of academic and conceptual, but it seems to me the two kind of important implications from seeing things in this way, from understanding our faith in this, in this, in this way. And the first thing I think is that it spares us and it spares those around us from that arrogant superiority which comes from believing that we have a monopoly on the truth. Isn't that a horrible thing? Isn't that just not very pleasant, is it? Not pleasant to be around people like that. And maybe we've fallen into that trap at times and I suspect people haven't really found that to be a particularly pleasant experience. It spares us from that and it spares those around us from that. And... Um, you know, when I, yeah, I, I just think that's something that's that's can be quite liberating for us as well as for other people. Um, and the Apostle Paul, who wasn't above being dogmatic when he uh, wanted to be, but he said, "We see through a glass darkly; we know in part." And for me, that's a tenet of faith. That's a conviction that I think is really important. We see through a glass darkly. We know in part. We get glimpses, all of us. We see a bit of the picture. And every one of us sees something different. And every one of us brings something different to the picture. So for any of us to think that we've got some kind of monopoly on the truth, that somehow we see the whole thing, it's just nonsensical. Because in what other part of life would we make that claim? So Christian communities are far from perfect, Let's be honest about that. But following Jesus in community with others can be a very precious thing. But as we treasure that and as we encourage others to join with us and as we seek to live that out to its fullest, let's hold on to this truth, this reality that Christianity isn't the only game in town, that we don't have a monopoly on the truth, that we don't see the whole picture. And we know that, don't we, deep down? even if we feel that we should believe something else. We know that that's the truth. So I think, firstly, that's, that's one implication of this, this way of seeing things. But also, I think understanding our faith in this way helps us to deal with the harsh reality that more and more people in what we call the West are choosing to reject Christianity or not even considering it to begin with. So in the last census, uh, back in 2021, for the first time, uh, when people, the, among the people that responded to the question about religion, less than half identified themselves as Christian. So it was the first time that, that that kind of tipping point had been reached. Now we know that the reality is that 
for most of those who would say they're Christian, really that it's just a label. It doesn't mean anything. That's not a judgment on them, but that's the reality, isn't it? That people, if, if forced to decide, would say, well, I'm, I'm not Muslim, so I'm a Christian. What does that mean? I don't know. Uh, that's the reality, isn't it? So the, the reality is that fewer and fewer people are choosing to identify as Christians, to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And that's not, just, that's not just an academic thing, is it? That's not just an observation that we might make. Because we're talking about our friends. We're talking about family members. We're talking about neighbours and work colleagues. People that we care about, who either have re- chosen to reject Christianity or have no time for it, not interested, maybe very violently opposed to it. So it's not just an idea, is it? It's people, and it's people that we care about. And maybe some of us agonise over that and try and make sense of it. But if we understand that following Jesus isn't about how we get saved, we follow Jesus because we are saved, then that can set us free from that anxiety that cripples us about the status of somebody who doesn't want to attach that label to themselves. Now, for some people that we, we, we see that would be in that position, our hearts do break for them. Not because they stand under the judgment of God, but because they don't know that they're loved. They don't know that they matter. And that is heartbreaking, whoever they are. And there are lots of people in churches who don't know that either, to be honest. And that is heartbreaking, I think, when we see people who don't understand that they matter, that they're loved, and don't know what it is to live life on that, on that basis. So it's not to say that none of this matters and that people can kind of do whatever they like. Those, those emotions, those feelings are real. But on the other side of things, there are people that say, I've got no time for religion, I'm not spiritual. They might even want to describe themselves as atheists, but somehow they seem to get it, don't they? They seem to understand what this thing that we call the kingdom of God is actually about. Even if they don't use that language, they seem to understand that love is the most important thing. They seem to know that they are loved and are living their life out of that love and able to be a blessing to others. We know people like that, don't we, if we're honest? We know people that have no time for the faith that's important to us and yet somehow seem to get it and sometimes seem to get it better than we do. I can think of people that I think are better Christians than me and yet they wouldn't use that label. And so I think... That brings us back to what uh, Gene Robinson said. Because what counts is love. What counts is knowing that we are loved beyond our wildest imagining and then living as if that were true. And for some of us, that will be expressed through following Jesus. For some people, it will be expressed in other ways. There are a lot of people that don't know that that's true. And I want them to know that that's true. And whether that means they end up following Jesus as well, that would be great but it's this that matters this is the thing that people need to know so you may be thinking well this is all very straightforward or you may be wanting to shout die heretic and build a funeral uh, build a pyre on the stage or something Uh, but I'm not trying to be controversial just for the sake of it Um, this is just something that's been on my mind for quite a long time it's something I've been trying to figure out and I think part of, as I say, that the part of what the culture that we want to create here is a, is a context where it's okay to kind of say, well, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm seeing. What, what do you think? 
and I'm genuinely open to know what you think. And uh, just, I would just say, please be kind if you don't agree, then, you know, and do, I, I see through a glass darkly as much as anyone, so if I'm missing things, come and tell me. But the point is that this is about exploring, isn't it? And it's about being honest, and, and it's about trying to take seriously what the Bible says. I think the other thing I would just want to say as a finish is that I haven't gone to the Bible looking for a passage that will justify this idea. This comes out of reading that story and trying to allow that story to speak for itself and trying to see where that leads. And I think when we do that with the Bible, it becomes something exciting. It becomes something life-giving rather than us trying to impose some meaning onto it from above. If we can read it in that sort of way and just say, well, where does this, where does this go? Where does this take us? What might God be saying to us? Where might he be wanting to lead us? So... If you're a Christian this morning, if you're part of this, uh, this family, this, if you're one of these followers of Jesus, then I'm glad to be part of the family with you. May you find joy in following. If you've got your doubts, I'd encourage you to hang in there, to talk to others, to read books which will help you process rather than tell you what to think. But above all, I would say, be honest with yourself. Don't be afraid to do that. God won't stop loving you if you stop believing. You need to know that. So may you find courage to go where your convictions take you. And if you're considering joining the Jesus gang or maybe inching your way back in after a rocky period, I'd encourage you to do that, to come as you are, be part of the community, to know that you're welcome. If that's you, then may you find your place within the Jesus community. But may we all know, wherever we are, whoever we are, may we all know that we are loved beyond our wildest imagining. And may we live as if that were true, to the glory of God and the blessing of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that when we look at Jesus, we see the breadth and depth and extent of your love for us, for all people, for all of creation. And whatever we understand about who you are and how that works and what does it mean to follow Jesus and all that's been shared this morning, I just pray that for all of us, we may know that, that reality in our own lives. And then when we see those around us who maybe don't understand that, that that's a truth, that they are loved. Help us to find ways of, of sharing that truth. Graciously, kindly, but clearly. Help us to demonstrate that love to others. Help us to live lives which reflect the things that we believe. And Lord, if we're in that place where we're trying to make sense of things, trying to figure out what it is that we do believe, help us to find clarity where we need to, but also to be able to live with the, the blurred edges, the grey areas, the things that perhaps will never be completely clear to us. Help us to see and understand enough in order to live and in order to live well. So we ask all of this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.